Well, I've been away all week, and so I've asked uh, for our pastors to preach today. And this morning, put your hands together as our student ministries pastor, Pastor Ryan Hayes, comes and delivers God's word. God bless you, Pastor Ryan. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, I am so honored to be here. And uh, uh, if you want a sneak preview of those pastoral changes that uh, Pastor was talking about, I'll be taking over the dance ministry. So we are excited. And uh, uh, Don will be the new youth pastor. Uh, no, it, if, uh, if this is your first time here, we want to say hi. And uh, you've really come to a cool church. Uh, I, I, I prepared to say this. I didn't know if pastor was going to be here this morning, but you are blessed to have pastor as your senior pastor. Amen. You have a man of God who speaks the word and, uh, we just love you pastor. Thank you so much. And for, um, and for always being honest in this pulpit. That's a big deal. And, uh, not every, every church has that. He is my father-in-law. So I know this is getting me brownie points and I'm okay with that. Uh, no, we, 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 uh, we love them and, uh, it's somewhere in the back of the Bible, but Arby's gift cards to your senior pastor, it's, it's biblical. But, uh, um, we really, we really want to say hi and, uh, uh, here's a picture of my family. If you don't know me, my name is Ryan. I, I do all the student ministries here and then my wife, Julie, she's right here. And then those are my two kids. So there's, uh, Jack and Logan are the, the boys and then the girls, Everly and June. And so they, they, they are turning one years old next month in February. So man, does time fly. How many remember when the babies were born? Isn't that weird? And, uh, I always heard adults, grown ups, you know, they would always say like, Oh, it goes so fast. And I'd be like, yeah, right. You know, I always, I always felt like life was too slow. And then you have kids and you realize it's just the lack of sleep causing all that brain damage. And, uh, boy, time does, does fly. This morning, I've been entitled this message, Asking for a Friend. And if you turn in your Bibles to Judges 6, we're going to talk about Gideon. And um, Gideon is a hero of the faith. If you've been in church, if you had Sunday school, you probably know a lot about Gideon. But I, I think I'm going to be able to tell a story about Gideon that really probably hasn't been preached about much, hasn't been focused on much. And uh, uh, my dad always said, uh, if you don't want wrinkles in your life, you should make wrinkles in your Bible. So uh, if you have a good beat up Bible or if you have an iPhone, if you're a teenager and you just have like some cracks in the screen, that's Okay, that'll work. And uh, so the Gideons, the Gideons, uh, as we know them, those are the people that leave the Bibles in the drawers, right? And so that's that's pretty much everybody's first experience with the Gideons. But really, it's an incredible man of God, and uh, um, his story uh, is almost always told the end part, the, the the big part, the exciting part. We we love those parts of the stories in the Bible, don't we? We love that. And actually, I want to focus. Focus on when he was a teenager. Uh, I've been uh, really enjoying going through. I, I work with the teenagers and young adults, and I've been really enjoying going through all of the stories that involve biblical teenagers and young adults. And uh, uh, Nehemiah has an amazing story, and that's what we're taking the youth and young adults through right now. And Gideon has an incredible story that actually begins when he was uh, young, and he was a least, and he was a younger, and uh, it's an incredible story, and one that I really picked up. Up on something that I had never noticed. You, know, you ever read the Bible and all of a sudden something explodes out and you're just like, wow, I've never seen that before. Here at this church, we believe that's the Holy Spirit. And he like highlights something. And something I just love is when it makes something in my life that most people find annoying, biblical, and I can point in their face and say, hey, I know it annoys you, but I'm right in this. You know, And one of those ways is that I'm personally annoying is I, I have no shame in asking. I have no shame in asking. If, if you're a parent in the youth group, you know that I will flat out ask to be invited over to your house for dinner. Why? Because there is Italians in this church, and I want in on that. Not the whole culture, just the food. I want the food, right? And, and, uh, uh, there was a Lebanese family, and, and they, they, I mean, it was the first moment I met them, and I said, when am I coming over? I have no problem asking that. I never learned the social graces to be kind. And, uh, and, and I find this in Gideon. When he asked for clarity from God, he not only got it, 
But then he asked for it again and again and again. When God asked him to do something, Gideon had no problem saying, prove it. Prove it. And so there is a a phrase that you'll find as soon as you enter junior high. And this phrase is asking for a friend. Asking for a friend was a method of finding out if someone was interested in you. And so you would, you would have a girlfriend or a guy friend and you would say, hey, go, go ask her if she likes me. Go ask her if she likes me. It's, it's a cop out. It's a, a wimpy way. And I'm so glad, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth as, uh, I'm 35. I'm so glad I am not in the dating time that young adults and youth are right now because you have cell phones and text messages and apps. And it is so frustrating, all this passive aggressiveness that you guys have to deal with. Youth, sorry. Young adults, sorry. It it stinks. You get like a text from a guy. And the guy's like, hey, right? What is that? In, in, in When I was younger, it wasn't that much long ago, you would have to actually, I know, it's weird, walk up to said female and introduce yourself. And, and nowadays, and but there was this passive aggressiveness that happened when uh, I was a student, and that was asking for a friend. You would ask for your friend, and and I prefer boldness. However, I think boldness can go a little too far. Can go a little too far. I I, I remember um, earlier this year I got a text message, and I I uh, how many of you know it's so amazing as annoying as social media can be and all of that. It's pretty cool when you hook up with somebody you haven't seen in years, right? There's a young man, and uh, I just love him, and he I was in his wedding, and uh, uh, we really mentored, Julie and I mentored the young couple as they were kind of coming up in the faith, and he was a new Christian, she was a new Christian. It was really a lot of fun, right? Right when we were getting ready to leave Florida, Julie was pregnant, and, and I just mentored this young man, and then I, he just kind of dropped off the face of the earth, and I'm like, man, whatever happened to my buddy Ben, you know? Whatever happened to him. And uh, out of the blue, it's it's funny how you think of somebody and then I, they'll, they'll text you or they'll message you or whatever. All of a sudden I get a text from Ben. I couldn't believe it. It was a number I didn't recognize. I had a new number. Somehow he had tracked it down. And we were laughing and we were uh, sending pictures of our, our families and, and old jokes and all that stuff. I mean, the conversation was about 20 minutes uh, in the, it kind of went into the evening. I, I noticed Julie was getting annoyed because I was talking to this guy and she's like, come on. What are you, you know, uh, what are we doing? But like, I was like, oh, it's Ben. Can you believe? And she goes, oh my goodness, we can't believe it's Ben. And then he goes, in one text message, the whole conversation switched. You ever had that experience where you're like, oh, okay, this is what this text message is really about. He goes, hey, I've seen on some of the pictures that you post that one of your relatives has a lake house. Would you mind if I came up with my wife and stayed at the lake house for a couple of weeks? I'm like, dude, I haven't talked to you in six or seven years, and you want to borrow my relative's lake house? Uh, and just to be clear, it's my lake house. I'm incredibly rich. But uh, yeah, I was like, are you serious? What is going on here? How could you be that bold? And and really, what it came out to is he was asking for his wife who was troubling him and, and all that stuff. And, and, and I was just like, so you're asking for a friend to borrow a lake house from somebody you barely know anymore. And you think just because we tax, that's, that's what it's about. And I, I think you could go too far, but I think there's something powerful about standing on this. So most of you know the Gideons from the book, but turn with me to Judges 6.11. Before the Bibles were being placed in the hotels, there was a man named Gideon, and God used this man in an extraordinary way, and his boldness is what I want to talk about this morning. We're going to see that God can use Gideon in an amazing way. Real quick before we get into it, there's a background on this. What leads to Judges is this history of Israel at the time. So Joshua had led Israel into the promised land. And that whole generation, they served the Lord. They were amazing people. And, and, and it, was, it was a great time. They were living in the promised land. But after Joshua's generation died out, and we find this in our own lives, don't we? After a generation passes away... Israel turned from God. 
And there's a slide I want to show you. It's kind of this cycle. And this is the cycle for all of Judges. And Gideon is, is one of these people that was raised up as a judge. But here's what would happen. They would be living for the Lord. Then they'd start worshiping this, this uh, local God. A local God. He was very popular at the time. Had a lot of followers on Instagram. This local God was named Baal. And they would get into sin. And we're talking gross sin. Wicked sin. And then they would cycle into like this foreign aggressor. Whoever it was, and it was always a different foreign aggressor. Often uh, they would come in cycles and they would become servants, slaves. And then they would go, oh, God, save us. And the people would turn back to God. And God would save them by these divinely raised up men of God called judges. It wasn't a kingdom at this point in the same way that we think of a kingdom now. And then the cycle would begin again. Generation living for the Lord. Generation falling away. Generation living for the Lord. And again and again and again. Does that seem familiar? Anybody older than the 1970s? Seems real familiar, isn't it? People get excited about the Lord. And then it falls back down. They get excited about the Lord and it falls back down. And so Gideon is this man who was raised up against this very specific group. The Midianites. Now the Midianites... Their real strength wasn't in chariots, it wasn't in, in sword play, it, it wasn't in, in military strategy. You know what the Midians were good at? Being a lot. I have a lot of kids, and every restaurant Julie and I go to, we just own the place. We're not the strongest, we're just the biggest group, right? Like They're like, wherever you want, just go, just, just stay out of our way, right? And, and that's what the Midianites would do. In fact, the story of Bug's Life, the writer said that they took the story of the Midianites to do that story. It's a little Pixar movie, but basically they used locusts. And that's what the Bible says that these people were like. They were like locusts, they'd sweep in at harvest time and eat all the food. And kill all the animals and eat them. And then they would sweep back out. You couldn't fight them. There were so many Midianites. And they would attack, but it really wasn't the strength of their military as it was the numbers. Now we're going to read Judges 6, 11. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Orphrah. Orphrah. Not Oprah. That belonged to Joash. Where his son Gideonite, Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Remember that. Threshing wheat in a wine press. It's a weird thing to do. To keep it from the Midianites. 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now remember that. Was Gideon a mighty warrior? No. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us. And I love this. His first thing is questioning God. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in strength. See, each time God speaks to him, he gives him even more of a boost. Go in strength. You have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Here's the problem. He doesn't know who this really is. 14, uh, 15. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan, my group, my neighborhood, my team, my family is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. 17, and Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. That it is really you talking to me. 18. And now this is the part where it turns into a biblical cooking show. You'll like this. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. He's saying, wait, 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 wait. Wait for me, God. I'll be right back. And the Lord said, okay, I will wait until you return. Could you imagine telling God to wait? Hey, God, hold on. I'm going to bake some cookies. 19. Gideon went in and prepared a young goat. 
and from an ephah of flour, that's 36 pounds. He made 36 pounds of floured bread, and he made bread without yeast, and he put the meat in a basket, and it's broth in a pot, and he brought them out and offered them uh, to him under the oak. Uh, now remember, this is this is all prepared flat out from like animals. So this took a while. Twenty. The angel of God said to him, "Take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on this rock and pour out the broth." And Gideon did so. And with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. In 22, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he shouted, Oh, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. 23, but the Lord said to him, Chill out. Peace. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. And 24, so God, or so Gideon Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands. And 25, the same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. Whose altar? Father's. It was dad's altar to Baal. That's important. We're going to remember that for a second. And cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Two altars. Two wicked, wicked things. 26. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. They built these things on hills. So there was a little hill on dad's property. And there that thing was. Those things were. 26. Build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height using the wood of the Asherah pole. Remember that. That you cut down and offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Almost finished. You're doing good. 27. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But... Because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did at night rather than in the daytime. Twenty In the morning, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished and with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and all burnt up. And the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray right now that you would move in our lives as wildly and as loudly and as clearly as you did in Gideon. You're the still, small voice. You're the speaking Lord. You're the voice of the Holy Spirit. Your clarity. We don't need to ask for a friend today we need to ask for ourselves in jesus name amen look at your neighbor and ask him what do you need god to tell you what do you need god to tell you ask your neighbor all right turn to your other neighbor and say they're asking god for something big let me tell you something let me tell you something. When I was younger, I was obsessed with the will of God. I was obsessed with knowing what to do with my life. I was obsessed with where I was going, what I should do. And, and um, I, I really idolized, just loved um, the uh, president of our university. I, I, I even sometimes when I'm, I'm speaking, I still find that I sometimes am cheating and sounding like him a bit. And uh, uh, I signed up to be his driver to the airport. I just walked up to him again because I'll ask you for anything. If you have Italian food, I'm asking you for it right now. Just please invite me to your house. Um, but uh, I went up to him and I said, listen, I want to take you to the airport. It was an hour away. And when we drove, I had an hour and I would just pepper him with questions. What do I do? How do, I, how do you think about this and all that stuff? And finally one day he just stopped me, probably because I'd give him a headache. And he said, he goes, man, you were really, really worried about what you want to do when you grow up. And I said, I'm, I'm terrified. I'm just freaking out. And he said, he said, you want to know a secret? I said, yeah, I want to know a secret. He goes, I'm 64 years old and I still don't know what God wants me to do with the rest of my life. All of a sudden it hit me that God will never give you the whole plan. He'll never give you the whole plan. Instead, he takes you step by step by step by step. Because at any moment, now I'm old enough, I realize at any moment, God could drop twins on you. At any moment, young people, listen to me. You playing around with this whole marriage thing, it's cool. I'm just saying, twins happen, okay? You just... 
just make sure she's right because twins happen. And then you're like, whew, all right, we survived. We, we did it. And God's like, <laughs> yeah, I got some more twins for you. Here you go. You know, and it's, it's like, it's like God knows exactly what you need. And he also knows what you think you need. And those are two very different things. And in chapter 7 and 8, we'll see about these 32,000 men that Gideon rises up and, and attacks uh, after 135,000. And I really encourage you to read uh, chapter 7 and 8 this week sometime in your personal devotions. It's incredible. But God really actually whittles that number down from 37,000 to 300. 300 is not a lot of people. And I really want to encourage you to read that. But the first thing that we really want to take away from this scripture is one of the most important things, I think, especially if you're in a season of change, it is this focus on who God says you are instead of what society says you are. Focus on what God says you are. Because... Society is schizophrenic. You can't trust it. You can't trust it because you can't even trust that the, 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 the trend that you're so into right now is gonna last. Oh, Julie was telling me all of her friends right now are so into this 30 day diet, right? And if you like smell a piece of pizza, it, it breaks the diet and you'll gain 18 pounds, right? And then like, but that was, you know, and then there was the South Beach and then there was this and then there was that, you know, I came up with a diet when Julie and I were getting married. I, I felt like, oh, okay, somebody's got to see me without my shirt on. I should lose weight. And I, you know what I, my diet was? I stopped eating. I just stopped eating. I eat fish sticks every day. That's it. I don't like fish sticks. That's why I ate them. And, and so, like, you know, it's, there's all these fads. You can't keep up with society. It's actually moving faster now, and they're having trouble calling generations. We have the greatest generation. Then we had the boomers. Then we had Gen X. Nobody liked them for some reason. And then we had the millennials, the Generation Y. And da, 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 da. There, it's moving so fast, they can't even pin down the next generation. They don't know who it is. They can't figure it out. And it's, it's the world's way of destroying you. It's the world's way of staying in control. And God says, look, don't chase the fads. Chase me. Chase me. God calls Gideon right from the start. Mighty warrior. Is he a mighty warrior? Would we say yes or no? Yes, it's a trick question. Why? Because God calls him mighty warrior. It has nothing to do with his stature. It has nothing to do with his size or his experience or his age or the fact that he's threshing wheat inside of a cave, which is a bad idea. In in his society, Gideon was a nobody. In his culture, he was the lowest of the lowest of the low. He's saying, God, I can't be used. God, you have the wrong guy. I, I think you don't understand Homeless people walk by me, God, and they shake their head like, oof, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, you know? And, and they're, they're feeling like God needs good-looking people, smart people, tall people, intelligent people, rich people. I felt that way. I always felt that way. My dad's a pastor, always has been a pastor, but he's never been a senior pastor. He, there are some, some people who want to be associate pastors, and their ambition is not to be senior pastor. And you know what? I felt when I went to Bible college, I felt like, oh man, I don't know. You know, I, I'm not coming from this big pastoral lineage. I, I just don't know. And I felt like the Lord was saying, it's not about you. It's not about your past. It's not about your opportunities. It's always been and always will be about me. You ever feel like Gideon? You ever feel like you can't make anything go right? You ever feel like, even though it's not good theology, it's it's not uh, Christian at all, but you ever feel like you have bad luck? You ever feel unlucky? I always like those people who win something, right? And and we were at a, a race with the young adults, a road race, um, which is not my idea of a fun event for a young adult ministry, but uh, they wanted to do it, so I went along. And uh, we were running, and and, and, and I did terrible, because, yeah. And and so we finished, and we're, I'm just crawling in. I'm so exhausted. And then I hear, and our winner is... Benjamin May, 
He had won this big gift basket. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. Good for you. And Carol looks at me and she goes, he wins everything. It's ridiculous. I'm like, okay, thanks. That made me feel good after, uh, you know, competing in this race and just getting demolished. But listen, listen, God is not a God of luck. Luck doesn't exist. Luck doesn't exist. Let me say it again because I think even as Christians we can be uh, a little, a little, just a tad bit superstitious. Luck doesn't exist. You can break mirrors. You can walk under, don't, don't, it's a bad idea, but you can break mirrors. You, You don't have to throw salt on your shoulder. If a black cat crosses your path, it's because the black cat had somewhere to go, right? All of that stuff is garbage. It's, there's no such thing as luck. Notice where Gideon is. Notice where Gideon is. He is in a wine press. Now listen, this is a picture of an ancient wine press that would have like a thing over the top. And uh, basically, you would put some losers in there and they would stomp on grapes and it would pool in, into the middle. And, uh, and Gideon is not making wine. He is not squishing grapes. What Gideon is doing is threshing wheat. Now, threshing wheat, I don't know if you've ever done it. I've actually had the opportunity to do it. We had this weird illustration at a church in Florida, and they wanted to show us how to do it. You, you have this basket, and it's kind, of a, it's kind of got these holes. It's like a grid, and you pick it up, and you go like this. And the wheat falls down through, and the chaff, which is the uh, outer shell, it's kind of like the thing on the kernel of corn that always gets stuck in your teeth, but it's real light. It goes up in the air, and the breeze carries it over onto the neighbor's lawn, and you just laugh about it, just like fall. And uh, and so you, it's a real, like, asthmatic kind of activity, right? You're doing this, and like that. Now imagine, he's doing this with no breeze in a contained space. This is a loser activity. Why is he doing it in the wine press? He's doing it in the wine press because these locust-like people, the Midianites, come stomping through and eating everything. And if you don't give it up, they're bullies. They'll kill you for it. But they don't want to kill everybody, right? Because why kill the goose that lays the golden egg? So they beat you up, take your food, and run away. And then you, you know, so he's, he's not, he's not protecting all of his grain. He knows the majority of his grain is going to get stolen. He's protecting a little bit. He's, he's living on this little bit for his family. Just, just, just give me enough. And I feel like we have this relationship with God sometimes. Lord, just give me enough to survive. Just get me through. Just give me a little, 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 you know. I, you know, Lord, I don't want big things for my kids. Just keep them from, like, weed, right? And I, you think that's not true, but as a, as a youth pastor, I hear from parents all the time. All the time! They go, well, I know when she goes to college or when he goes to college, he's gonna do a little something, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but we're really believing for the Lord that, you know, that they really find their footing. And I'm just, I'm just staring at them and I'm thinking, that's not what I want for my kids. I want my kids to look at me and go, Dad, your faith is weak. Have you seen my faith? I want my kids to look at me and outread and outpray and outserve. I want my kids to be better. That's like the point of parenting. It's not to create more of you. It's, I know they look like you. I mean, my dad would say that all the time, like, keep it up, son. I'll take you out. I can make another one that looks just like you, right? But listen, listen, it, it, it is not your responsibility as a parent. Young parents, listen to me. Your job is for those kids not to fail in the direction you did. I have no idea, this is a little aside, but I have no idea why parents feel the need to describe their entire past to their kids. I don't get that at all. I have a parent come up to me and my son is smoking weed and all that stuff. And I said, well, what happened there? Tell me, tell me. Well, you know, I used to smoke weed, so it's really hard for me to attack that. And all that stuff. I said, what? Well, how does he know that you used to smoke weed? Well, I told him. Why? Why? Why do you got to share all the gritty, dark details of the past? I love, I love what my, my parents, I don't know. I just always assumed they were 30 years old and older, right? I don't know what happened. I mean, it came to find out that my dad was an assassin as a, as a teenager, and it was pretty mad. No, I, I don't know. But what I do know is, I, is my mom came to the Lord in her 20s, and there was two decades of opportunity to, to live like sin, and she probably did. And yet, 
She says, you know what? That doesn't matter. What matters is that the Lord saved me from it. Save me from it. And there I think we have, we have people who are in this wine press. What is the wine press in your life? What are you afraid of? Maybe your wine press right now is just trying to keep that job and there's layoffs and you're kind of freaking out. Maybe it's to hold this family together because again, the kids are, they're going crazy. I don't know what happened. They were so nice when they were 10 and then she hit 12 and I don't like her anymore, Ryan. I, I understand. I understand. Maybe the marriage is in trouble. Maybe you're struggling to pass a class or get certified or pass a test to become a teacher. Maybe, maybe everything has changed ever since your body started falling apart. I'm 35? Oh my gosh, you guys, I had no idea everything hurts after 35. I just wake up and I'm like, ah, you know, like I didn't get why adults are like, mmm, I love ibuprofen. Like I thought that was candy. No, it's ibuprofen, right? Just everything hurts. For what reason? I don't know. Sometimes I wake up, one of our children, many, many children has climbed into our bed and has decided to take their knees and just find my kidneys with it, you know, and I'm waking up and I'm like, oh Lord, help me, you know, and God's like, you don't need help. You're 35. That's what it is. It's just, you know, it is what it is. The wine presses of life, though, is they're not, they're not for you to stay in. Maybe you feel like a zero. Maybe you need to focus on something different than your wine press. Here's what I would say. You're a child of God. You are a child of God. John 1.12 says this. If you don't believe me, we're going to go through some quick scriptures. All who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I spoil half of my kids. I don't spoil the boys because I like them. But man, these girls. Oh man, nobody told me what happens when you have daughters. Those kids own me. At night, when we were first married, Julie would get me up to go take care of the babies. I'm such a heavy sleeper. I have kind of like a amnesia. And she would, she would trick me. Every, it's your turn. Oh, oh okay. And it made my turn to go, you know, change the bottle and da, 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 da. And she'd go, Ryan, wake up. It's your turn. So it was like four my turns in a row, you know. So we finally got smart and I started saying, all right, I'm taking this shift. You take that shift. But the girls, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't care. If, if I hear them crying, I'm going to go to them. I never knew how much I would enjoy putting them in their little outfits. It's like a doll, you know, and I'm like, mm, you know, one's a little fatty, and I'm like shoving her little sausage arms. I love it. I love it. I think God's the same way. I think God's the same way. He hears you crying, and he comes running. I, I, I don't know enough about God to think he's any different. Everything I've ever learned about God says he's a better dad than me. And when my kids cry, I come. When my kids need something, I show up. Don't believe me? Matthew says this. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away anything in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Paul writes in Corinthians 1. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You weren't a, a Kardashian. You weren't Kanye West kid. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Do you guys know who Bill Hicks is? No. And yet... Through the benevolence and power of God, he's given me an opportunity to preach this morning. How humbling that is. How exciting that is. A nobody from Claremont, Florida. You know where Claremont is? It's near Orlando. It's not even cool enough to be Orlando, right? It's just near Orlando. And yet God has lifted me up. I'm not bragging on me, but I am bragging on what the Lord has done. Think about it. But God chose the foolish things. 28, he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Why does God 
choose losers? Why does he choose the small? Why does he choose the little Davids to kill the big bad giants? Because he knows that pride, the first sin, is going to be death. It's going to destroy you. And so he has this ability. And you say, Ryan, I, I just feel like a zero. But I don't even have faith to believe God can use me. Wait a second. God is faithful even when we are faithless. What is faithful? It's a combo word. Faith and full. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's faithful. Full of faith. God believes in you. Even when you have trouble believing in him. Gideon had a weak faith. We see him seeking out all these signs, all these, you know, and looking around. And Here's what he's leading him up to do. In Judges 6.36, he says to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wolf fleece. This is a, a hunk of wolfer. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm going I'm to throw this on the threshing floor. And if there's dew on the fleece and the ground is dry, then I'll know that you'll save Israel. And God does it. And he squeezes out the fleece. There's a whole bowl full of dew in there, a whole bowl full of water. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Great, God spoke. Not so fast for Gideon. He goes back to God and he goes, okay, 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 okay. Don't be angry with me. I love that. I love that. I don't know of any prayer in the Bible that starts with, hey, don't get mad. But I know we've all gotten that phone call, right? I know, I know my sons have come up from the basement after a huge smash and go, dad, don't be mad. You know, I've just destroyed everything down there. He goes, don't be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test. And this time, flip it, reverse it. Fleece dry, ground covered with dew. God doesn't go, oh, well, you know what? Let's just call this thing off, okay? I'm going to use lightning bolts. I'm going to use your older brother, Steve. Steve, come here. Come here. You don't need a fleece, do you, Steve? Come on, we're going to use Steve. You know? You you open your, 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 uh, you open your drawer. And, uh, and in the, there's, oh wow, there's a Bible placed here by the Steveites, you know? No, God says, I'm gonna use this guy, as annoying as he is, even though he keeps inviting himself over for lasagna, we're gonna use Gideon. Maybe you have small faith. If you're sitting here today, the Bible says in, uh, 2 Timothy, if we're faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Listen. I love this. And the reason I love this is because it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my weakness. It has nothing to do with my strength. It has nothing to do with how much faith I have. Uh, it, it says, look, God is faithful not because of you, but because of him. God is faithful in and of himself because he can't be dishonest in and of himself. It's impossible for him not to be faithful. So regardless of how you feel or act or believe or anything, God's going to be faithful. Isn't that great news? Listen to me. I know that kid of yours is running around right now. And he's serving at some stupid bar this morning when he should be sitting next to you in service. And he's not. But let me let me tell you something. You've been faithful to that kid, but God is more faithful. God loves him more. God has got his number. God is going to save his soul. That, that husband or wife that should be sitting next to you here this morning and you're so frustrated and you've been praying and praying and praying. You're like, God, what do I do? Do I just get rid of them and kick her to the curb? What do I do? And God says, even when you're not feeling faithful and he is being unfaithful, I am faithful. I'm going to restore that thing. I'm going to restore that thing. And I'm hard on marriages for a very simple reason. My dad's a a marriage counselor, and you would not believe the stories he has come home with. Abuse and attack and scary stuff. And yet God saves these marriages. 
Why? Because God wants them to be married and he feels bad when people break apart and he doesn't want to be embarrassed by this married couple having a divorce. No, because God in and of himself cannot disown himself. He is faithful. So he fixes things. He restores things. He connects the dots that we can't. God is working on you even when you don't feel it. And yet he he does expect a sign. He needs a sign. And here's what I've learned. God will challenge you privately before using you publicly. God will challenge you privately before using you publicly. David had to have a lot of practice to be so good with that bow and arrow when he ran into that giant. Where did he get that confidence from? Practice. Jesus. We don't know anything about Jesus between the ages of 12 and 30. We know nothing about our Lord and Savior who this building exists for. We're all wearing our our best duds. The whole reason we're here. And we don't even know anything about his young adult life. Why? Because he was in obscurity. And what I found is that God often, when he calls somebody to something great, he first challenges them privately and in obscurity. And that's really a big problem for young adults and teenagers today because your whole life is online. And we're sharing everything. Like we... Get a, 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 a microwave meal and we're like, hmm, click, I gotta take a picture of that, getting ready to eat a hot pocket, right? And then we're like, oh, we do another click, just burn my mouth on a hot pocket, it was like hot lava, right? And then we, we click another picture of our swollen tongue and it's like, I don't need to know any of this, right? But at the end of the day, I think that we live in this weird culture where Guys like Justin Bieber, who's a young adult, mega uh, pop star, uh, all the young adults and teenagers know who he is. He started because his mom put him uh, playing piano up on YouTube and he got famous. This is a weird time to be alive. Weird time to be alive. You live in an era of instant fame. It used to be, if you wanted to get famous, you had to shoot the president. Nowadays, nowadays, you can do something on the internet accidentally and someone else could take a video of it and you can be a big deal for about nine minutes. Everybody talks about Andy Warhol, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, everyone gets their 15 minutes of fame, but they don't actually know the conclusion of that quote. He said, everybody gets their 15 minutes of fame and in 15 minutes, everyone will be famous. Now, I don't know what benefit it is to take a quote from a a drug addict, but what I do know, I do know, is that there's no time anymore to be obscure. There's no time anymore for challenging privately because of the Internet. And, And really, I would challenge young adults, pull back all this sharing. Pull back all this posting. Be different than the rest of the world and quiet yourself in preparation for what the Lord does. You don't need to tell everybody all of your problems all of the time. And to be honest, I don't even think that's a young person problem. I go on Facebook and I see 40, 50 year old women. I'm assuming, I don't know your age, I'm assuming you're 25, but like posting about, oh my goodness, my kid, blah, 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 blah. Are you nuts? That is on the internet forever. They have proven that Google indexes the entire internet. And as soon as you put something up, a picture or whatever, it's on the internet. You can delete it. And it's still in an archive somewhere. You know, in Langley. I don't know. What I do know is that you can't unring those bells. You can't undo those things you post. Are you crazy? Complaining about your husband. We get it. We've met him. Julie. I had to change her password. What I would say is, God will challenge you privately before he uses you publicly. God wanted to grow Gideon's faith in a very unique and very scary way. You see, in Exodus, we find these things start to crop up. These weird poles. Asherah poles. Asherah was this goddess of fertility. Uh, All of a sudden, they had creeped into the culture. 
And Gideon was the first person in the Bible who took a stand against these things in his own house against his own father, who was a leader of this small little town. The people, when they found out what he had done, came to kill him. And Gideon's father had to change his mind and defend his son. And he said this. I love this. He said, if Baal wants to defend himself, he's a god. He can. And so they started realizing for the first time that this god is weak, this Baal. And so what he had to do, Gideon in the middle of the night crept out with ten guy friends and they broke down the altar to Baal. Not only did they break down the altar to Baal, but then they used a saw and cut down this wicked, wicked, I'm not even going to describe it, it's so horrible, wicked Asherah pole. And they took that dead wood and they used the wood from the Asherah pole. They didn't go get clean wood, they used that wood and they built a new altar out of the rocks that were used for Baal and they created a brand new worship center on the hill that God had said, this disgusts me. I hate this. And they used the rocks, they used the hill, and they even burned up the wood. Let me tell you something. I don't know what happened in your past. I don't know what trouble you got into when you were a young adult. I, I don't know what happened last week before you repented and the Lord turned things around. What I do know, what I do know, is that God will use your past, and you can actually take that dead wood, and you can burn the dead wood to fire your future. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? God will use the dead wood of your past failures. And we all have it. And then he will actually take the things that you're embarrassed of. And he will use that dead wood. And he will light a fire into the rest of your future. Look, I don't glorify my past. There's things I've done in the past. And I don't tell everybody about it. You don't need to know. I ain't telling. But listen. Listen. That stuff. I don't go back to. And you know why? Because I set it on fire for the kingdom of God. I used the dead wood and the mistakes of my past to start a barbecue. And I invited everybody to it. You know what I call it? I call it the youth group. That's what that is. My youth group, it is fueled by my love of God and my hatred of my sin. It's why I care. It's why anybody does ministry. We do ministry in any aspect, whether it's professional, like you're a pastor or a missionary, an evangelist, or you're a lay leader, and you do Sunday school, or you sing and play guitar. All of that, if you're not a Christian, you've got to realize something. All of that is fueled by deadwood failures. It's all fueled by deadwood failures. We're losers. We're failures. We're screw-ups. And yet God says, okay, okay, okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Jesus. Jesus is going to take away all that sin. And I want you to gather up all that garbage. And I want you to set it on fire. And we're going to put some steaks right on the top of that. And it's going to be delicious. Because the deadwood fires the future. How do I know this? I was in college and I dislocated my knee playing college football. Yeah, I played college football. Intramural. Co-ed. Flag. At a Christian school. But it did happen. And my whole leg, you know what an immobilizer is? It works. Immobilized. All the way down. My senior year. And I'm like this. You know what I did? Did I, did I hide in my room? Did I get addicted to opioids? Did I, did I worry what people thought? No. You know what I did? I had prettiest girls I could find sign it and I'd say, you gonna write your number on there or what? Why? Because I used my dead wood, my failure, my mistakes and I said, God, I'm gonna get some dates out of this. <laughs> Thankfully they all said no and I found Julie instead, but listen, listen. God can use your past. He can use your dead wood to make a barbecue. Too many people say, oh, Ryan, you don't understand. You haven't suffered the abuse that I have. No, I haven't. And I'm not being dismissive of the abuse. Listen, you got to get counseling, get counseling. You got to seek something, seek something. You got to get a, a medical prescription for a, a, you know, clinical depression. Go get it. But don't wallow in it. 
Gideon had a job to do. He had to beat the Midianites. Instead of knocking down the altar and the Asherah pole, did he like swim around in the rubble for a while? Did he lay there going, oh, I'm so embarrassed of dad. I can't believe he did this. Right? No. He built the altar, set it on fire, and moved on. He fired his future. What are some things you need to just throw on the fire today? Well, maybe they're character issues. Is God challenging you to tear down some foreign altars? Has you, maybe your dad built the foreign altar. Maybe your mom built the foreign altar. It's in your life. There's, there's things that are in your life because of your parents. Period. Period. There are things that God hates in all of our lives that God either is dealing with, has dealt with, or needs to deal with. And you've got to burn those altars down. Maybe your dad could cuss a blue streak and you still struggle with that. Well, if you're 50 and you're still struggling with cursing, you're still swimming around in the rubble. Like, stop. Fuel that. I hate this phrase. Well, I got a temper. I I don't know. No, you have an untorn down altar. I'm sorry. You have an untorn down altar. Well, my whole family, you know, I'm Irish and German, so I kind of drink a little bit too much, right? And it's like, oh, come on, right? Now you're going back to like Irish and German here. I don't know. Well, like, stop. Like, uh, I don't know, quit. Lay it down, cut it down, set it on fire, and get you some hot dogs. Or as my grandpa Big Al would call them, tube steaks. But make a meal and move on. Character issues. God is going to challenge you in your private life. Some people are like, I just don't know. I, I, I really feel like the Lord's calling me to this place. I remember, I remember that, that, uh, that other area when I was in Bible college. Maybe it's not character issues. Maybe it's service issues. I was in Bible college with a pastoral ministry degree. That's what I was training to do. I love preaching. I love all that stuff. And, uh, and so we would have chapel during the week at college, but then we would also, we would also have a ministry on Sunday mornings. And I would say most of the people I knew that had pastoral ministry degrees that were chasing a pastoral ministry degree didn't go to church on a Sunday morning. What? What is wrong with you? You're at a Bible college. This is, this is as easy as Christian living gets, right? It's all a lot easier there. And they're like, well, I go to chapel. Yeah, but you want to be like, I don't know, a pastor. I cringe every time somebody comes up to me and says, the Lord has called me to full-time ministry. And I know for a fact, I've only been here seven years, but that's long enough to know basically who's doing things for the Lord here at Lakeside and who's not. If you want to do something big for God, but you won't teach a Sunday school, nope. It ain't happening. Get involved. There's so many opportunities. Come to a bread of life. Go on a missions trip. Do something for the Lord. Get crazy with it. Why? Not because that's your ultimate calling. Your calling is just to be obedient. That's it. And let God help you. Talk is cheap. Get to work. I can say this because I'm not preaching here next Sunday. (laughs) Obedience is the last. Maybe it's an issue of obedience. Are you going to do what God says or are you going to do the things that are fun? This is an area I struggle with. I'm so ADD, I do the fun things. I eat dessert first. I like fun things and I hate financial reports. Boo! So boring! Nobody likes numbers! But let me tell you something. I learned here at Lakeside, if I don't do the financial report, they won't cut a check. If I can't cut a check, I don't get to play dodgeball. I don't get to take the teenagers to the trip. I don't go out somewhere. I can't rent the the bus to go to Cedar Point if the check's not cut. So I do the things I don't like to do to do the things I do like to do. Does that make sense? I don't think this is a young person issue. I think this is a human issue. I think often, often, often we want to celebrate the fun things and not, you know, I want my kid to be the valedictorian and yet he's got 35 video games and you don't bust him on doing his homework. Well, hey, 487 out of 800 in the class, that's halfway. That's, hey, at least he, at least he graduated. 
Or you could put your foot down and say, God's called you to something bigger than the Xbox. Teenagers are not liking me here. Sorry, guys. You want to do something big for God, but you haven't been water baptized. Like, do it. It's Jesus telling you to do it. Not me. God calls us to little things. Why? Is water baptism magic? Is there, is there something in the water? No. It's obedience. Sometimes there are people on the prayer list and I go, man, I've been praying for this person to get healed for so long. What's the deal? And God just goes, stupid. It's not about you doing anything other than obeying. Just do what I'm telling you to do, Ryan. In Romans 1.5, we learn that Paul tells us he has been given an apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to an obedience that comes from faith. Act in obedience that comes from faith instead of worrying about the odds of finding success. I find it so funny. All of a sudden, when it comes to faith, we're all actuaries, right? We can all do the math. We're like, oh, that won't work. That that over there, right? And we criticize other ministries all the time. All the time. I hear this all the time. Oh, women's ministry? That's not what you do. Over there? You know, you're doing that thing? That's not how you do that. Oh, you want to help? I am. I'm pointing. I'm very good at pointing. Right? I get that all the time in youth ministry. They're like, oh, you know what event you should do? I'm like, no. I'm always hungry for event ideas. They're like, you should do this event. I'm like, oh, I would love that. Do you want to help? Well, I, I did help. I told you what to do. Now run along and go youth, right? But I find, I find in this story, Gideon is up against 135,000 Midianites. And God whittles that group from his 37,000 all the way down to 300 to prove something. When you act in obedience, God places in front of you his plan. And he doesn't really care too much about your plan. Because he's right. It isn't the water and the obedience. It isn't stacking chairs. It's obedience. It isn't pouring tiny cups of goldfish into crackers. It's obedience. And I'll, I'll conclude with this. Isaiah 55 says this. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways, not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth... So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, it's more of a teaching than anything, but I just pray that we would all look at Gideon. Not the part where he wins with the clay pots and the fire, but instead, the parts where he spent it in obscurity, Serving you, asking you for confirmation, being afraid, and yet still moving forward. God, move today in our lives. Move in us, Father. If you're in here today and you are seeking direction from the Lord, right here at the end of the service, I want you just to say, I need the Lord's direction. Would you stick your hand up? You need God to show you something, to answer something, to fix something. Just stick your hand up. If that's you, I want you just to stand to your feet. Stand right up. If you can't have faith in this place, we all like you. We all like you. But if you can't have faith in here, how are you going to have faith anywhere else? This is your wine press. This is a safe place, a quiet place, a small place. You need God. You need God to fix something. Move and some. There's still time. If you're believing the Lord for something big, all right, come on down right here to the front. Mustard seed faith. You don't have to fix the problem. You just have to have faith. I'd like the pastors and the elders, the deacons and their wives, youth, come up with these guys. As pastor closes out this service, I'm just going to pray over you and I want to tell you something. You are Gideons. You are Gideons. You don't have to be the smartest. 
the strongest or the richest. You don't have to be the best. You just have to be faithful, 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 nonstop, never stopping. You don't have to be skilled. You have to plod. You don't have to run. You can walk. But be faithful. Burn that dead wood and move forward. God, we just pray right now for these who are faithful. Oh, God, it's big and they're freaking out, but they're going to have to trust you, God. We need you to do something. We need you to fix it. Move, change, miracles. God, we pray for these Gideons. The rest of us are just going to watch as these Gideons tear down the enemy. We're going we're gonna to watch these people and our faith is going to be built up. We're going to see them do something huge in the, the world. And we're going to see them do something huge in their personal lives and in their families and their kids, their marriages. God, this is Gideon. Jesus, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that these Gideons would change everything. In Jesus' name.